with salvation being a free gift from God, it's ironic that it's often humans who are the first ones to place limitations on God, God's grace. And it's humans who are often the ones who say, yeah, we're saved by grace and by Jesus. However, if you don't do this, if you don't look like this, if you're not this particular way, if you don't fit in with us, you get where I'm going, right? That's, and many times we've seen that, and unfortunately, this was a reality for the Gentiles. And it says that they were separate from Christ, but we know with the heart of God, and we know as we'll see as we look at further these scriptures, that we were never separate from Christ. It's been on God's mind since the very beginning uh, to include both the Gentiles and all humanity in the plan of salvation. As we'll see in the next verse here, the Apostle Paul is, is really building an argument. He's really building an argument about talking to a group of people who have felt outcasted and first of all saying that you belong. But he's also talking or at least implying to the Jewish Christians that as people who have experienced God's grace, there is a certain level of accountability that comes with that in order to share it with others. This morning, I want you to view this sermon uh, with two hats on, uh, from two different lenses and perspectives, if you will. Um, The first is that as sinners, as people who have struggled and continue to struggle with things in our own life, I know that we all understand uh, what it means to be saved by grace. We understand what it is, what we deserve, what, what, what the consequences of our actions and our lifestyles should be, but we've all become acquainted with a God who has given us grace beyond what we can imagine. So we can relate to the outcasts, but we can also relate to the in crowd. We can also relate to, to these Jewish Christians who have had the experience and the upbringing in God and who have developed convictions along the way in how we are to live our lives. So with these two different perspectives in mind, I w- want to ask you two questions. The first one, uh, can we go back two slides? The first one is, where has the line been drawn on you? Where in your walk or experience with God has someone told you that you're not enough? Where have you felt a sense of unbelonging? Where have you gone into a place of worship and looking to experience God, but have only experience somebody else getting in the way of that. I had a friend growing up uh, named Casey, and some of you have heard this story. She was not, um, not an Adventist, but she was a singer, and so I invited her to church one day to do a special music. Um, and it was a beautiful song, um, but right after she finished the song, this is like one of her first times in a church, right after she finished the song, she was approached by the head elder at the time in the church, and he said, nice song, however, how dare you enter a place of worship with a skirt that's below your knees? Yeah, and it sounds crazy, and let's think of it from both perspectives. In this elder's mind, of course, he had a certain dress code in mind, and it's important to be modest, but what is of ultimate importance is his situation. If we have somebody who's brought face-to-face with Jesus, potentially for one of the first times in their lives, and that's standing in the way, it's it's dreadful. And, and for many years, Casey did not step foot inside a church. To this day, it's encouraging to see that she's exploring her own relationship with God. But unfortunately, the damage that can be done by human hands can be devastating. It can be absolutely devastating when we don't remember what Christ has done for us and we continue to hold other people 
to an unreasonable standard in order for them to belong. So where has the line been drawn on you? And the, the other question is where have you drawn the line? Where have you, whether it's to someone in your church or your family, what is, what is something that you've seen that you have said, you know what, this is so far out of the possibility of what God would want that you are no longer welcome in my heart, in my home, or in my church? What is some place that, that you've done that? Growing up, I saw it a lot. Something as trivial as if a person had a tattoo, maybe they were outcasted. Or maybe as we continue to, to wrestle with things as a society, these issues get more and more complex. Maybe somebody uh, who does not have a heterosexual relationship is not welcome in your mind. Maybe, maybe someone who's struggling with gender identity. You know, there are so many things that go on in today's world that I believe that Christ calls us first and foremost to be light and gracious and understanding and compassionate. Because it's not, without any of those things, we can't expect God to change anyone's heart, let alone our own. And in the Gospel of John, in reference to the lines that we draw, Jesus drew a different type of line. And so Jesus, in the Gospel of John, he's met with this situation. And the religious leaders at the time come before him, and they're dragging this woman. And you're all familiar with this story. They're dragging this woman to his feet, and they say, Rabbi, teacher, like the one time they acknowledge that he's good for anything is when they're trying to catch him in something, right? But he says, Rabbi, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery. This woman, and I don't know how you catch someone in the act if you're not looking, but it seems like self-incriminating on my, on my end for these religious leaders, but this woman, they say, was caught in adultery. And then they remind Jesus that there's a standard that has already been set in Scripture, They said, according to the law of Moses, she is supposed to be stoned. We're supposed to take her out right now. So, what do you say, Jesus? And so Jesus, in true fashion, bends down and starts to draw in the sand. And scripture does not tell us what he drew. And there have been many people who have guessed, maybe he's writing their sins, maybe he's writing something, but I believe that scripture intentionally does not tell us because it doesn't matter. What's important is the effects that happened afterwards. Whatever Jesus drew in the sand caused every single person that was condemning that woman to walk away one by one, to slowly walk away from that situation. And so Jesus, alone with this woman, asked her the question, he says, where are the people who condemn you? She says, they're, they're gone. And he says, well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And so for Jesus, it seems like these lines that we draw, we can't draw a line that's far enough. We cannot draw a line that's far enough from God's presence because Jesus has already told us that there is nothing that can separate us from his love. There is absolutely nothing. So if you're in here this morning wrestling with with sin currently, past, present, guilt, I want to tell you and affirm you this morning that Jesus has already paid it all. That as you struggle, you, you do not lose anything in your relationship with God. It's okay to struggle. Jesus is human, so he can help us as we struggle. But we have to recognize, first and foremost, that that does not deprive you of your salvation. Jesus has paid it all. And and yes, though Jesus' grace always comes with a commission, go and sin no more. Live better so you can actually feel better. This is all 
for our benefit. But we have to remember that Jesus, when Jesus draws lines, he's actually extending an invitation instead of closing one off. And so in Ephesians 1, verse 4 and 5, Paul continues to affirm these new Gentile believers. He says, even though you felt like outcasts, even though you've been told that you don't belong for whatever reason, I want you to know that he, meaning God, Jesus, chose us to be in him before the creation of the world. In love, he predestined us for adoption, to sonship, to daughtership, through Jesus Christ. This has always been on God's mind. And though Paul in the previous verse told these Gentile converts that you were once outside of Christ because you were uncircumcised, that's, that's not God's doing. That's humans doing. And we have to remember that none of us are separate from Christ, but that means that even the people that we associate, who we don't get along with, who we don't agree with, who, who, who make us struggle with our patience, with our, our understanding, our wisdom, anybody, they're included in this as well. In the next verse, it goes on to say, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And I love how Paul puts this, because he says, When you believed, you were marked with a seal. And I can imagine as a Gentile, they're thinking to themselves, oh my goodness, here we go with this marked with a seal stuff. I don't qualify, right? But then he goes on to say, no, this is not something that's visible. This is not something that you can see. This is God's spirit, God's presence living inside of you. And though it's not visible on the outside, it is certainly noticeable in the way in which you live your lives. And Paul said, don't let anybody say that because you don't look a certain way or feel a certain way or dress a certain way or sing a certain song. Never let anybody say that any of those things are qualifications for salvation. Anytime that you have Jesus and, the and is, 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 is false. There's no such thing as Jesus and. So what I want us to think about this morning is what is, what is your and? What is our end? What are, we, what are we falsely believing for ourselves, fooling ourselves into believing that we are adding to our salvation? What, what, what do we believe that, that Jesus is not enough? And we need to examine those things because Jesus has already told us, I'm sufficient for you. My grace is made perfect in weakness. Jesus paid it all, not half, not 45%, not until you get to a certain point that you're good enough, that you feel like you belong. No, Jesus paid it all. There's another parable in the Gospel of John, I'm sorry, in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, where Jesus is talking, um, he says the kingdom of heaven uh, is kind of like a group of day laborers. And so in this time period, and and still it goes on today, um, it's not uncommon for people to to have contract jobs by the day, right? You can go, back in the day you would have you'd have vineyards that needed to be picked and so in the morning you would go right and you'd show up on this line and 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 there would be a man who would say or a woman who would who would say you know I'm going to go ahead um, and pay you in this particular instance it was a denarii so a full day's wage whatever that would be reasonable I'm going to go ahead and pay you and so at the beginning he goes out and he gets some people at 8 a.m. and 9 a.m. and 10 a.m. and then he gets back to the field and he realizes you know what there's there's more work than, than these three can provide. So he goes back, 12 p.m., 1 p.m., 2 p.m., 3 p.m. And throughout the course of the day, 
And the day ends at 5, but yet the last group of workers are showing up at 4.30, and they're only working for 30 minutes. And so it's the end of the day, and it's payday, right? So the, the person who, who owns this vineyard, who, who is uh, supplying out the work, starts with paying the person who came last. And so he gives this person that came in at 4.30 a full day's wage. So for 30 minutes of work, this person made out with eight hours of pay, right? And so as you get further down the line, you can notice the smirks start to creep up on the people over here's faces, right? Because they're thinking to themselves, oh, we got a generous guy. Okay, I know he told us he was going to pay us a day's wage, but if they got a day's wage for 30 minutes, surely, what's the math on that? I'm going to get 16 times that, right? <laughs> and so the, the person continues to go out and pay, and it's the same amount for every person. It's one day's work for every single person. As if to say, it doesn't matter when it is that you come or when it is that your loved ones come. I know that some of you in here struggle with family members who, who for whatever reason, maybe they've been so hurt by, by somebody. Maybe it's us. Maybe we feel like we have blood on our hands this morning because of the, of the way that, that we have improperly conveyed the message of Jesus And if that's the case, I want to remind you that God has not given up on them. And so neither can we. Neither can we. As easy as it is to write somebody off and to feel as though they don't have value, they don't have worth, God never says that about anybody. And so in our lives, I know that there are people that we come across on a daily basis, whether they're family members, whether they're coworkers, whether they're friends, whatever it may be that, that, that challenge us, right, that, that really push us to the edge. But I want to affirm you this morning, do not give up on them and do not give up on what God is doing in them. And lastly, and maybe most importantly, don't give up on the way that God can use you in that process. And so Paul just continues to really, really lay it on thick when it comes to the, the affirmation. He says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. In him and through faith in him, we can approach God with freedom and confidence. So as I thought to myself as I was, as I was looking over these passages, um, Paul is really good about both affirming people where they are, but also um, bringing up necessary information to, to help us to understand. And as I was looking through these texts, it's one thing to understand in our head that we're saved, that, that, that God has done everything that we need in order to have a relationship forever with him. But there are certain things that come up in our lives that serve as roadblocks to feeling as if we are a part of God's family. Um, so I want to highlight, too, that the Apostle Paul um, really mentions in this book and the first roadblock um, is underestimating the Savior while focusing on the sin. We touched on this a little bit this morning, um, but I want to affirm you once again that Jesus is sufficient for everything, that there is not a place that you've wandered too far to experience his grace and that he has even followed you to that place waiting for you to return. There's a beautiful story, as you know, called The Prodigal Son, <laughs> who, where a wealthy landowner has two sons. And so when the second son comes of age, he asks his father for his share in the inheritance. And essentially he goes and he blows it. So one third of the entire family wealth estate is now gone. 
And when this guy comes to grips with himself and, and finally decides to himself, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back home because right now I'm literally feeding pigs for a living. I'm going to go home and ask and beg for my father's forgiveness to work as a servant in his house because at least then I'll have a bed to sleep in and I'll be fed. And so he walks back home feeling heavy, feeling guilty, feeling burdened. And his father is waiting for him at the doorstep, even runs to him to give him a robe and a ring and to throw a celebration for him. What a God that we serve. What a God that we serve that doesn't, that doesn't hold these offenses against us, that, or at least forever, that when we acknowledge, look, God, I messed up, please take me back, he's there with open arms. I read something the other day that said the difference between religion and relationship is that with religion, when we do something wrong, we hide and we try to cover it, like Adam and Eve, right? They, they notice that they were naked, if you will, after they recognize their sin. And sometimes that's what happens with us. But instead of allowing that feeling to get us to go to God, we isolate ourselves from the presence of God. But it's not God that removes his presence from us. Sin has a funny way of making us feel like, like we're not good enough. And the devil has a way of whispering in our ears and reminding us of the things that we've done that should disqualify us from his grace. But the difference between religion and relationship is that with religion, if we run in relationship, we run to God. We run to God as that loving father that we know he is, who's not only able to forgive us, but who also is able to restore our situations, to give guidance and to speak wisdom into our lives that allow us to make better decisions. So if, if you struggle with that first roadblock, I want to encourage you with the next text. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in, according, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. In Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near. In another book or letter that the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans uh, he talks about a really important distinction um, between two words called justification and sanctification. So justification is, is this idea that you have become right with God, that your offenses are no longer held against you and that you are in right standing with God so that when that day comes, when Christ returns, you're guaranteed salvation. That's what it means to be justified. And, and what Paul tells us in this verse or in the verse previous, he says, the moment you believed, you were marked with a seal. In other words, the moment that you heard this message and received it, your life changed because you are now a member of the saved community. That's what it means to be justified. But sometimes we get it confused with the process called sanctification. Sanctification is the process of becoming more like Christ. So sanctification happens after justification. We become after God calls us what we are. We're saved before we fully know how to act like it, right? And so there are times when after we're justified, which happens once, justification, you can't lose that. Like, justification with God is not something that if I, if I steal tomorrow, I, I have lost my salvation. And I'm not encouraging you to sin. I'm not ever trying to trivialize what sin is in your life. But I am trying to remind you that once you are justified, it's not, a, it's not a continual process of losing your salvation and gaining your salvation and finding favor with God and then losing it. No, it, it isn't that. When you're saved, Jesus has already done it all for you, which allows you to then go and be sanctified. 
And the importance of sanctification, this becoming like Jesus, it's crucial because it's, it's literally the, the thing that determines our joy in life, the thing that determines our happiness. God doesn't give us uh, rules and regulations and recommendations so that he can be a dictator. God, God created us. God knows everything that makes us work, that makes us tick. God knows the inner workings of our soul and our heart. And by becoming human, God has experienced all of that and is able to directly speak into our lives about what is relevant, what is meaningful, what is going to bring life. And so this sanctification process, never get it confused as though you have to be a certain level of godliness to attain salvation. No, Both justification and sanctification are a gift, but never get the confused. Sanctification is a gift that God gives to us so that we can be better representations of who he is in the world and hopefully bring more people by his grace to the foot of the cross where they belong. So roadblock number two, and if you're anything like me, this one is probably the the biggest one, is we aren't letting Jesus fully inform the way that we see and relate to God. Some of us are working with outdated understandings of who God is. Maybe the way that we were raised or or maybe something that that we heard in addition to scripture. There there are many things that inform the way that even subconsciously we view God. I know growing up, I went to a very, very strict school and uh, in my fourth grade class, we were out at recess. It's a kickball game, right? runner on first and second we were down by one run I was next to kick and I'm super excited and like every kid's nightmare you hear the whistle blow to end recess right so I'm like oh man ah this this is a good game I'm like one more pitch one more pitch it's the bottom of the ninth you know you can't you guys don't win the game if we don't finish it you got two outs come on go ahead and handle it so we throw the pitch and I don't, to be honest, I don't remember how the game ended because of what happened afterwards. <laughs> but we went back inside, right? And my fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Brown, I'll never forget, um, she said, hmm, recess ended five minutes ago, gentlemen. <laughs> yes, Mrs. Brown. She said, hmm, wouldn't it be a shame if while you boys were outdoors, three minutes past the, the whistle blow, you saw Jesus coming down in the clouds to save those who are faithful, <laughs> to save those who listen. And we're like, dang, like she just took our salvation away for three minutes of extra recess. But <laughs> it sounds crazy, but as I grow older, I understand that Pictures like that that I received at a young age continue to inform the way that I relate to God, continue to make me run sometimes from when I should run to. And maybe um, maybe we haven't fully understood how to look at God through Jesus. Because in Jesus, we find the most radical, extreme picture of grace and love and peace that we've ever seen. And it's not like God changed, right? Like, oh, I hear people talk about the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. No, like, maybe humanity wasn't ready for everything all at once, but in Jesus, we know who God is. 
So we can't, we can't go back and say, oh, but, 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 but this, this, this. No, because Jesus has already told us what he is first and foremost, and that is love. And if Jesus and his love are not informing the way that we see everything, including ourselves, then we're just we're shortchanging ourselves. It's like we've been given the best gift possible, but we keep wanting to settle for something less. We, we keep wanting to act as if what we can do is adding to it, but what we have to remember is Jesus has already paid it all. And Jesus is the picture of God that we need to continue to reconnect with on a daily basis to be reminded who we are in his presence so that we can go and make a difference in this world. I love when Jesus uh, was approached and asked, you know, what, what are the commandments? What should I do? And, and so Jesus, you would think, he knows scripture like the back of his hand. We're waiting for the Ten Commandments, right? We're waiting for it. And no, Jesus says it boils down to two things. Love God and love others. That's what it all boils down to. All of the commandments, he said, all of the law, all of the prophets, everything that we read in scripture, all of that, everything in our experience, it boils down to God's love for us and how we respond to that love. And if we do it well, then we also show it to other people. The next verse says, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with God's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Know this, not, know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Paul reminds us that this love, this experience of God and his character is greater than any knowledge that we can ever attain. There's nothing that we can, that we can learn that makes us more valuable in God's eyes. There's nothing that we can study that makes us more approved and more fitting for his grace. But in addition to that, we understand that God's love causes us to step outside of the comfort zones of what we currently know and understand. God's love is a call and an invitation to connect with people who are not like you. Today we talked about two different groups of people, right? We had our Jewish Christians and we had our Gentile Christians. And, and, and we had this division that existed. And the unfortunate reality that, that we're sometimes met with today is that even after Christ has told us, I have come to destroy the barrier, I've come to bring peace, we continue to build barriers in our own lives between us and the family of God. And for some of us, it can be something as simple as a denominational line, right? Maybe, maybe we're so prideful about our Adventism that we forget to really let Christ inform the way that we are Adventist. For others of us, it, it, it might be um, on racial lines. So many of us have unconscious biases when it comes to the way that we relate to people. I work in a restaurant, right? And I, I hear people say ridiculous things, stereotyping about people that they don't think they're going to get a tip from because of the way that they look or their skin color or their background. Like, that's ridiculous. And there's no place for that in the kingdom of God. And there's no place for that in any of us that say that we are Christian, because Christ has already said, I, I remove the distinctions. You know the verse, there's no more slave nor free, no more Jew nor Gentile, no more male nor female. What about the way that we relate to each other as genders? What about the distinctions that God has removed there? What about the, 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 the male ego that I have to deal with, that we have to deal with to understand, you know what, like Christ has called us first and foremost to be a servant and to be humble. 
and to look after each other and to uphold and to stand for the rights of other people that we see being jeopardized. This causes us to look at our world and our context a lot differently. And hopefully it causes us to have some difficult conversations and to grow and to understand that sometimes these things come out of me without me even knowing it. But God, reveal to me where I'm unconsciously biased. Reveal to me where, where my sinful nature or, or the culture or the way that I was raised, take those things away so that I can be a servant and so that I can be a light and so that I can connect with people in the way that you have envisioned. Jesus levels the playing field. What about with our politics? Oh man, I don't know if any of you have been on Facebook recently, but wow, it's a divisive place. And maybe not even Facebook, maybe at your workplaces. You know, whether or not you're a Republican or a Democrat or a Libertarian, I want to ask you, are you that before you're a Christian? Or are you a Christian before you're that? And sometimes it's our decisions and our spur-of-the-moment reactions that reveal the answer to that question. Sometimes we say, oh yeah, I'm Christian, but oh, the minute you speak against Bernie Sanders, I'm going at you, you know, like... (laughs) Sometimes we feel that stuff inside of us and we see the way that we respond and the things that are said. And it, I've read some conversations, I've participated, unfortunately, in conversations where I know for a fact that both people on both sides are, are, are well-standing Christians who are so prideful about their Adventist heritage and yet they find themselves on two polar opposite ends of political spectrum. So now they decided that they can't get along. That trivializes the sacrifice of Jesus. It takes away from the unity and the peace that he brings. I'll leave you on this, on this next verse. It says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So with your two different hats on this morning, first, as if any of you are still feeling like an outcast, I want to affirm that you have been on God's mind since the very beginning of time. He's been waiting for you to hear and to respond to his message of grace. And the moment that you did that, or if if today is your first time, the moment that you do that, you're saved. It's a beautiful, beautiful reality. But that reality also comes with a commission. When you you move from this outcast to this in-group, if you will, it comes with the understanding that the idea is not to to create is to is to sustain this barrier in between but the idea is to remove the wall entirely so that anybody on the outside feels welcome to come home thank you pastor brett jesus removes all the walls and makes us one let's sing our closing hymn um, hymn number 334 come thou fount of every blessing Fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me Next verse. Here I raise my
last verse. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind me closer still to thee. Prone to This is the time now for our offering, a chance that we get to give back a part of what God has given to us. We're very blessed here in, in this country and in this land that we have religious and political freedoms, we have the freedom to work, and God has given us those gifts and responsibility. 2 Corinthians 9.6, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each one should give what he has decided his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Will the deacons and deaconesses please stand? Kind Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege we have to return our tithes and offerings to you. We know that every good and perfect gift comes from above. May you take this offering, though it may be small, may you multiply it, and may you use it as you would see fit, and that we can participate in our church life here and in the ministry throughout the world. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll go ahead and multitask as we take up our offering. Please turn to our closing hymn, hymn number 547. Be Thou My Vision. Hymn number 547. Please remain seated. Oh. 